and uh, and I just want to I want to take a moment. I, I I don't know. I just I, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. This is a really heavy topic. This is a really difficult thing because I'm going to point out some things that are probably in your life. And I don't mean to. I'm not here to condemn you. My job is to inspire you that Jesus is worth it. That Jesus is worth it. What is that it? Whatever that is in your life. Jesus wants a closer relationship with you because the closer you are to him, the closer you are to the Father. And so whatever is sitting on the throne of your heart, all I want to do is draw attention to it because maybe you don't even know it's there. And so that's what this series has done. And I woke up this morning with just such a heaviness on my heart. And I don't know what it is, but we're going to pray before we begin to deliver today. Because I just, I just feel so heavy about it. It's, it's, this is not a topic that's fun. I've had a lot of fun topics. The man of steel was fun and a couple other things. This is just really, really heavy. So I want to pray for us before we dive into the message today. Father, I, I thank you for the opportunity to draw closer to you. I thank you for all these that have come today. Lord, I I ask that you would prepare our hearts to receive the word. Lord, that we wouldn't be resistant to it, but that we would be open to it. That we would be humble enough to examine our own hearts and our own lives. Today, as we talk about the God of success, Lord, change us. Draw us to you. Lord, grant me the grace and the mercy to deliver this message today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So here's where we've, we've been with the gods of war. If you've missed it and you haven't been here, in the first week we talked about that everybody is a worshiper. You don't have a choice about that, right? You're geared to worship. You're going to worship something. And what you worship is important. The second week we talked about that there is a battle going on for your heart. Your heart is the battleground where the gods battle for that throne. Everything in your heart, whatever is going on in your heart, determines how you act, how you behave. And so we, we landed in, in Proverbs that said, guard your heart because above all else, guard it because that's where everything flows from, right? So there is a battle for your heart. There are confederates or counterfeits out there that are trying to take the place of what God can be in your life. And so we, 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 that was the second week. And then last week, Buddy got to deliver the message that I wanted to li- deliver, but fell on my week of vacation. Last week was the gods of pleasure. And so last week we talked about sex, we talked about food, and we talked about entertainment. And that only the devil, and this was the greatest point, I listened to the podcast and I listened to to Buddy deliver the message, and he said, the point you need to remember is that God is the only one that can give you something genuine. And that the enemy of the devil takes whatever he can and offers you a counterfeit. And that counterfeit is empty. There's, there's, There's no satisfaction in it. There's, there's sex outside of the way God intended it. Sex is a gift. It's a wonderful thing. But when you use it outside of the way God intended it for us, it's empty. It's meaningless. Same thing with food and same thing with entertainment. In fact, something I, Buddy didn't talk on, and I, I'll just, just mention briefly, is that the word amusement, is the root word is muse. And do you know what muse means? It means to inspire. To add the letter A to the beginning of muse means to be without inspiration. So when we're amusing ourselves, we are without inspiration. And God's a very creative God. He made us to be creative. He made us to seek and to see inspiration. And when we're amusing ourselves, we are without that. And so very often we find that 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 amusement, as we amuse ourselves, it's empty. 
There's no inspiration in it. That's why you can go home after a day of work and click on the television and just sit there. Because it's empty. You zone out. That's what they call it, right? I just want to zone out. But you consume that, and it's empty. So you need some more. You consume some more. Next thing you know, it's 1 o'clock in the morning. Your wife has already gone to bed. Don't know where the kids are. You're pretty sure they're in bed. At least you hope they are on a school night. And you kind of either decide to sleep on the couch or crawl upstairs and go to bed. Because you've zoned out. You've lost inspiration to do anything at all. And that's what entertainment, the God of entertainment, does. Is it leaves us empty. Here's a quick test for you as to whether or not you're dealing with the God of entertainment. You don't have to answer me, but how many of you guys since service has started have checked your Facebook? I'm just asking. If you, you're constantly doing that, you're constantly pulling out, looking for that amusement, looking for that entertainment, I find I'm guilty of it. All week long, I'll pull that thing out and I just get on my phone. It's so easy, you know, and I've got this habit. There may be a God of entertainment sitting on your heart. And so I thought that was a great message, and I really was sad I, I missed it and didn't get to deliver it. But this week, we are going to jump into and we're going to examine the God of success. John Calvin, who's a, a preacher who's long gone, uh, said that the human heart is a factory of idols. And so as we talk through these things, they may seem a little heavy. They may seem a little difficult to deal with. They go like, man, how can we actually be Christians? Well, there's a war, and you've got to fight the war. And God helps you do that, Right. Uh, so what is your measure of success? When we talk about success, everybody thinks of success different, right? Is it your career? Is it, is it uh, in your family? Is it a dollar amount that you're making? It, what is it? Is it a business that you're building? What is success to you? Maybe success to you is just getting to that next level of, of Contra, you know? I'm saying, any, any gamers here? Nobody. All right. Well, maybe. Maybe that's your success level. But some people say that success is measured by age. And I'm going to read this to you. I think this is great. At four years old, success, if we're measuring by age, success is measured at at the age of four by having dry pants. (laughs) That's a four-year-old's level of success, right? At 12-year-old, level of success is having some friends. At 16, that success you've reached is having a driver license, right? At 25 years old, it's being married and having sex. At 35, it's making money. Now, what's interesting is is once we get to this 35 thing, we see this reversal that starts to happen, right? This level of success happens. At 50 years old, success is still making money. At 60, it's still having sex. (laughs) At 70, success is still having a driver license. At 80, it's hoping you still have some friends alive. And at 90, it's hoping to have dry pants. Now, I'm like you. I've experienced success in my life, success in career. I've also experienced failure in career. I've been fired twice from the same company before. Don't even ask me how that happens, but twice. I've had some failure. I've also had success. I've been at the pinnacle, and and the the greatest success I've experienced in business was before I decided to, well, before God called me to leave it all and start a church. But I've also experienced success in in love, and I've also experienced failure. I had a marriage that failed after the first year, and now I'm in a marriage that I'm happy with, and I've been in it for eight years, and I hope it never, ever ends. It's wonderful. Now, I will tell you that I've also had some failures. Heck, while I was riding shotgun with my wife, while we were driving through the mountains on the way home from vacation, I'm pretty sure I failed at the dry pants thing. Her driving was not... Those mountains was not great. A little scary. I'm not going to lie to you. But what defines success for you? Is it career-oriented, or is it some level of upper management that you're 
seeking to get, or is it an annual salary amount? You know, you want to earn X before you're successful. Maybe it's six figures. Heck, maybe it's four figures. I don't know. Whatever that is for you. But whatever that, that is, let me ask you this. Does everything you do have to be quantitative or, or measured by something? Is your success like a sports career where it's all in stats, right? And then if your stats drop, your whole world is ruined. If you're not successful, everything is like you swing like a pendulum. You're really, really happy when it's great. And when it's not, you're like really, really low. You swing to this other side of the world. It's, it's over. You're crying. You're whimpering. Your Facebook status is, oh, woe is me. Everything is horrible, right? You're laughing over there. And you know what I'm talking about. Success When we're following the God of success, when he is sitting on our throne, the throne of our heart, when we don't have success, we swing the other way instead of being in this constant that God's in control, right? And so when you miss a goal or fail, does it ruin you? Is your gauge for success based on God's gauge or this world's? And once you've achieved that level of success, does it immediately become sour and your eyes fade off into the distance and you see in the horizon the next, next level of success that you have to get to because the thing you wanted so bad, you got to it and it was empty. And it wasn't what you thought it was going to be, right? So you're looking off in the distance and you see that next thing and you push forward. Forsaking everything important along the way, that may be your family, that may be God, maybe that's church or community, whatever that is. Do you bow at an altar of success? There's a story in Luke 18 that we're going to talk about today, and that's where we're going to take our text from. And on the surface, when you look at this story, when Jesus is talking to this young man, this rich young ruler, it looks like Jesus is talking about money. And so when people read this, they say, well, Jesus must have a problem with money. Okay, so we're going to talk about money today because a lot of times people attribute success to money. And that's where this text draws it from. But success can be anything. We're just going to focus here for just a moment. I don't want anybody to get uncomfortable. I'm not after your money. That's not it at all. But Jesus is focusing in right here. And so we're going to jump into the Bible. But if you're here today and you don't have a Bible, if you don't own one and you'd like one, if you just put your hand in the air, we have Bibles that we provided for you here. We'll give it to you. It is your Bible to take forever and ever and ever. You can write in it, put your name in the front of it. It is yours. Take it with you. So if you just put your hand up, we'll get you a Bible, okay? So we're in Luke 18, and here we're going to read the story of a man who is confronted with a choice. And uh, here's a successful guy who's accomplished and achieved and accumulated. Here's a guy who is the pinnacle in his time of success, and he was worshiping these gods of success. Okay, So we're in Luke 18. I'm going to read the full text, and then we'll go back to it bit by bit. All right? Luke 18, 18 through 23. I think we've got it up on, yep, we've got it up on the screen. Fantastic. A certain ruler asked him, so he's talking, the him is Jesus, and a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. Those are good ones. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. So let's start at the beginning of this thing. Verse 18. 
says a certain ruler. Now, Matthew's account of this is a little different than what Luke says. Matthew's account says that he was a rich, young ruler, right? Now, young refers to anything under the age of 50, okay? Some people here, you like that terminology, right? Under the age 50 and under, that's, that means young. That's really nice. <clears throat> and so he's, he's a guy who's very aggressive. He's a ruler, Okay, that's the first thing. He's a ruler. He's accomplished and accumulated much. And the Greek word for ruler indicates that he was a recognized official with authority. So this guy is somebody in this city. So we know that he's a man driven to succeed. And he asked Jesus, he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is a great question to ask, right? As somebody who's driven, he knows that it's important to ask questions. And it's not important just to ask any question. It's important to ask the questions, right? And, and it's not really so much that, um, that, it's, that it's the question that he asks. It's really what he asks or, or the heart behind it, right? Elmo says a good way to learn what you want to know is by asking questions. So for my Sesame Street fans out there, you know that this guy was just doing what he's supposed to do. He's asking questions. And so even the way he asks the question reveals the false God that is sitting on his heart. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, you and I know that eternal life today, imagine this guy in this time. He's successful. Everything he's got, he's earned. He put his, his, uh, his nose to the plow. I mean, this guy did it. This guy has worked for everything that he has. And so all he knows is... What I have is what I've done. It's been me. I did it. I did this. I did this. And that's why I'm here. And now I want eternal life. So what do I have to do? But we know today that that's a free gift. There's nothing that you and I can do for salvation. Jesus and his death and resurrection provided salvation for all of us. But he's asking for something because he feels like it's something he can do. Let me tell you, folks, that's a product of religion. Religion says, here's a set of rules, here's a set of things you can do, and this is what you have to do in order to get to heaven, right? But that's not what Jesus is. Jesus says, I've already done it. All you have to do is accept my gift. Here it is. And so it's a little different, but he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? The Greek word for inherit, because all of this is written in Greek, and it's translated into English. Jesus wasn't an English-speaking guy. I'm sure he is today. I'm sure he could have then. But he was speaking Greek at the time because that was the language of the time. And so it's translated into English. And the Greek word that was actually written there says uh, for inherit means to acquire or earn. So he sees eternal life as a measure of personal success for him. And we're often drawn to gods of success because these gods allow us the throne of our own lives. We're in control. It's up to me. I'm in control. It's about what we accomplish. It's about what we achieve. And the rich young ruler thought of salvation as something to be earned, just another goal for him to accomplish. He was expanding his portfolio. I've accomplished this, I've accomplished that, and now I've accomplished eternal life. Okay, maybe I shouldn't have hit that note. (laughs) But salvation isn't something to be earned. It's just another goal for you to accomplish. It is given by grace when you pursue the giver of it. So back into the text, we're now in 19 through 21. Jesus responds to him. And this is what he says to him. He says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not, do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And all these I have kept since I was a boy. 
I love Jesus' response. Did you count how many commandments he recited back to this guy? This is a Jewish guy. He knows the commandments. How many commandments are there? I'm, t- I'm sorry, how many? Ten. And why did he only quote five? See, when you read the Bible, you need to read the Bible. You need to understand there's something missing from there. See, if you were to look at the full ten, there are five of them that deal with the heart. And there are five of them that deal with outward actions, things that you do. What are these? The these are the actions. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. That means lie. And then honor your father and mother. Jesus challenged the guy with the things that he knew the boy was going to say, I did good at these. I've kept all these. He wanted to talk to him on his level. And so he does just that. And Jesus gives the man the answer he expected. And he tells the man to keep the commandments. And if you want to know how to successfully earn, earn is the word, eternal life, you keep the commandments. But we all know that nobody's done that except for Jesus. Nobody has lived a perfect life. And Jesus tries to help the guy with his first response by pointing out that no one is good but God. But the guy's not getting it. He's not connecting the dots, right? And so can you imagine Jesus talking to this guy? There's no, like, expression. There's no understanding on his face. And so Jesus continues. But the man isn't connecting these things. And, and, and so Jesus goes on in verse 21. He's, and the guy responds, sorry, with all these I have kept since I was a boy. Ironically, here's the guy who's put his hope in religion and what he is able to do. He's not putting his hope in God. He's not approaching Jesus, the Son of God, with humility. Nothing. He's proud of his accomplishments. And here's Jesus' response. I love it because this guy's religious rule keeping had become his God. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Here it comes. Jesus is getting ready to address his heart. His friends, let me just tell you something. Jesus is not concerned about whether you show up on Sunday morning to church. He is not concerned about your outward actions. He's concerned about your heart. That's what he con- he's concerned about. In the second week, we talked about guarding our hearts because when we guard our hearts, the reason we guard this is because everything flows out of it. Jesus' number one concern is this. And so after he addresses the five outward things, he goes right for, the, for the, uh, the jugular on this guy. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. The adjective used to describe this man's wealth puts him ahead of almost everyone. And in reading this story of the rich young ruler, you might conclude that Jesus had a problem with this guy having money. That's false. He didn't have a problem with him having money. He had a problem with the God that was sitting on his heart. That was success. Because that's where Jesus wants to be is on the throne of your heart. This is not a money issue. It's an idolatry issue. It's putting something in place of where God belongs. And so Jesus has done to this man what we've done over the last few weeks. And what we've talked about is this guy puts, him, he puts himself in direct competition with what this man loves the most and says, you either choose it's going to be me or it's going to be money, but there's no third option of both. You don't get to have both. You don't get to have a God of success sitting on the throne of your heart. I get to sit there. 
And some of you are here and you feel like you're off the hook. And I know what you're saying. Aaron, I don't have any money, so none of this applies to me. <laughs> I got you. I feel it. I feel that. But some of you are still owned by money. Everything you do in life is to get money. You pursue money. Why? Well, maybe because you need it to buy groceries. Maybe some of you need it to pay off your credit card debt. Whatever that may be, you're chasers of money. You're chasers of success. You're chasers of that thing because money tries to do to us what only God can do. And so it's funny because a lot of people will take the Bible out of context, and I love when they do. They say that, that well, you know, the root of all evil is money, right? That's, that's a bad thing. That's why Jesus is saying this is bad. That's why he told him to go sell everything. And we try to tell everybody who's got any kind of money, you ought not live that way. That's not godly. That's not true at all. It's not money that's a problem. The Bible says it's the love of money that's the problem. This guy loved his money. He loved his success. And so Jesus goes right for the jugular and challenges him right where he lives. And so also in Matthew 6.24, Jesus put it this way. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other. Or he'll be, he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Anybody here ever worked for a mom and pop company? It means mom and pop own the place. And when you check in to work, you check in with either mom and or pop. And mom and or pop are both your bosses. And mom and or pop cut your paychecks. Mom and or pop give you your daily assign- assignments and they tell you what to do. Well, you have two masters there. See, I've worked for a couple mom and pop places, right? And when you check into that place, you never know what you're going to get with pop sometimes. Pop is, is like, he's, he's, he's either way happy or he's way angry, right? And, but mom, mom seems to be always happy. She's all right. She's a steady constant. She's the yin to his yang. She's, you know, anybody relating to this at all? Had two bosses? Or maybe two people on the job that thought they were your bosses? You'll report to the one before you'll report to the other. In fact, you'll wind up avoiding the one in order to be drawn to the other. The mom and pop, usually, I would be drawn to the mom because she's grace, grace, grace. She's love, love, love. And the pop is like, she can't have two masters because you'll love one and hate the other. Right? And that's what happens here. And Jesus is saying the same thing. You can't have two gods sitting on the throne of your heart. It's either got to be all Jesus or it's got to be all this. And he makes that dividing line. He draws it in the sand and says, I dare you to cross it. I dare you to step over it. And he tells him to go sell it all. And why is money so often portrayed as God's primary competition? It's because we look to money to do the very thing that God wants to do for us. Here's Here's, here's a couple things. Here's a list of the lies that the God of money has told us. The first thing it's told us is that money will satisfy you. We say to ourselves, if we only had enough, we think that happiness will come. And some of us have this sadness that hits us when we reach the end of our money. And it happens because our hope, it happens because our joy, our faith, our happiness is all tied up in money. Now, a lot of us have decided that the phrase, money can't make you happy is just something rich people have made up to make us not feel so bad about not having money, right? Comedian Daniel Tosh says that people say money doesn't buy happiness. Uh, Do you live in America? Because it buys you a wave runner. I mean, have you ever seen a sad person on a wave runner? Have you? I'm just quoting Daniel Tosh. Have you? 
<laughs> Try to frown on a wave runner, and then he does this. If you, I wanted to play the video, but there's just some stuff in the video that I can't play, so you have to excuse me. But he says, he does this, he goes, Try to frown on a wave runner. <laughs> I mean, that's what happens. I got on a wave runner two weeks ago, and I actually tried it. I was like, mm, I'm going to frown and grimace through this whole thing. It's impossible. You can't. The wave runner is like the happiest thing ever, right? But regardless of happiness in a wave, in a wave runner, money will not pro- provide you anything that's lasting. I mean, you can't live on the wave runner, right? There's no shelter. You can't sleep. You're going to fall in the water. It's a horrible existence. But... <laughs> But the satisfaction money brings is temporary and empty. Let's move right along before I stay on the wave runner thing. The second lie is that money means you matter. It's not true. We think that money can make us significant. We often judge our worth by how much we are monetarily worth. What's your net worth? And that's your worth in this world. And that's a lie. That's that's an absolute lie. Instead of looking to God as our source of identity, we look to our money. And society has sold us this lie. We have songs that we sing. They're really, really popular. I'm not going to sing it to you. I really want to, but I'm going to hold back today and not sing. But I want to be a billionaire. You guys know this song? So stinking bad. Yeah, okay, all right. So I did sing a little bit. It's all, it's, it's through society. We make it a level of, we want to be on the cover of Forbes magazine. Smiling next to Oprah and the Queen. That's the level of success we all have to be to, be at. And that's the song. We sing that lyric over and over again because it's so daggone catchy. (laughs) But the dollar amount in your bank account does not determine your worth with God. You matter, even completely penniless. Amen. The third lie is that money will make you secure. The truth is that whatever you put your security in ends up being your God. Well, what does that mean? It means that it reveals where you've put your hope. With enough money, God seems that all doesn't seem all that necessary, right? Enough money, you can buy anything. This is why Jesus, after this rich young ruler leaves, says it's so difficult for rich people to enter into heaven. Why? Because they count on their money to meet their needs. They count on that money to be their source. Think about that for a minute. If you, maybe you're in this room and you don't have a whole lot of money. And so you don't even know what this is like. But imagine if you did for just a second. If you had all the money, you didn't have to work another day, you got enough money sitting in the bank account that you're living off the interest's interest. You know what I'm saying? That's a lot of money. You got people that answer to you, you got people that sweep your floors and cut your grass. You're set. What do you really need at that point? What are you relying on? Is there anything that would drive you to your knees to pray? Is there anything that you would be missing in your life that you say, God, I need you for this? It's difficult for rich people to enter into heaven because they don't feel like they need God for anything. In Proverbs 23, 4 through 5, it says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. That's money. That's what money does. We put our hope, we put our security in money, it'll leave you quicker than you can blink. I mean, let's be honest. Money isn't this piece of paper anymore. It's not. You put it in your bank account and it's electronic zero that exists in your bank account. At any given time, somebody pushes a button and that is all frozen. It's gone. You don't have access to it anymore. The only thing you have access to is the $20 bill that's in your pocket at that time. Right? You can't go to the bank and draw it out. Not if they put a freeze on it. The government decides it's gone. 
You didn't pay your taxes right, or somebody said you owed them money. There's a lawsuit that happened in another state you didn't even know. Every dollar you thought you had and you were so secure in is gone. We read it in the headlines of our newspapers all the time. Gone. Identity theft, different things. Your money, the thing that you count on for your security, gone. So when you put your security, when you put your hope in something as like money that can take flight and leave you quickly, it's not a great place to be. But money that wants you to do that, the fourth lie is that money will save you. The real problem with idolatry is that we're looking to something other than Jesus for salvation. We're lonely and we look to a relationship for salvation. We're empty and we look to possessions for salvation. We're depressed and we look to food for salvation. We're rejected and we look to pornography for salvation. We're angry and we look to alcohol for salvation. We're apathetic and we look to our work for salvation. We're proud and we look to status for salvation. Or we're worried and we look to money for salvation. Proverbs has a very humble approach to money. And I love this because he says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? That's an amazing thought. That's a very humble approach to money. Give me just enough, Lord. I don't want to be tempted to disown you. When you're in relationship with Jesus, it's easy to have that kind of approach because you know that he's central. When he's sitting on the throne of your heart, everything you do flows from it. Everything from that point. There's a story I want to read you. His name, a man named Millard Fuller. Maybe you know his story, maybe you don't. But I'll tell you his story. He says, he tells about becoming a, uh, a millionaire by the age 29. That'd be nice, right? I often said when I was growing up, I'd be a millionaire by age 25 and 34. It hasn't happened yet. He said he'd bought his wife everything she could possibly want. But one day he came home to a note that announced that she had left him. And Millard went after her and he found her on a Saturday night at a hotel in NYC. New York City. They talked into the wee hours of the morning as she poured out her heart and made him see that the things that our society says are supposed to be so satisfying had left her cold. Her heart was empty and her spirit was burned out. She was dead inside and she wanted to live again and kneeling at their bedside in that hotel room, Millard and Linda decided to sell everything they had and dedicate themselves to serving the poor. The next day, being Sunday, they found the nearest church and went there to worship and thank God for their new beginning. And they shared with the minister and told him about what had happened to them and the decision they had made. And the minister told them that such a radical decision was not really necessary. And Millard said, he told us that it was not necessary to give up everything. He just didn't understand that we weren't giving up money and the things that money could buy. We were giving up. Period. <coughs> Millard and Linda started an organization you're probably familiar with. It's called Habitat for Humanity. It was empty. Money that they had. And it leaves us cold. Am I telling you that you need to empty your pockets? No. But I'm challenging you. Is Jesus central for you? Is he sitting on the throne of your heart? Because this story ends in a really strange way. But it ends in a very pointed way. You ready for it? We're going to go back to the verse. 
Luke 18, 23. This is the rich young ruler's response to what Jesus says. And he says, when he heard this, he became very sad. Why was he sad? Because he was very wealthy. His wealth was empty. His wealth brought him sadness. His wealth that he couldn't let go of kept him from the thing he wanted most, the thing that he thought he could earn, which was salvation. There was an idol on the throne of his heart. And that's not what he wanted to hear, but Jesus says, you've got to choose. So I'm telling you today, if any of this has made any sense to you, if you said, Aaron, you know what, that's me, I'm not going to embarrass you. I don't want to call you out in front of everybody, but I want to pray for you. And I hope you pray too. I hope you repent. You say, oh, I'm not going to repent. I'm too good to repent. Repentance is not a bad thing. Repentance is a good thing. It means restoration. It means you get to start over. That's what grace is. It's the mercy of God is for us. So I'm going to offer you the same invitation Jesus offered to that guy. An opportunity to allow him to be central. Let's pray. Bow your head. Close your eyes. Maybe uh, you're here and you don't know Jesus. And you're like, you know what, Aaron, I'm, I'm listening to the message and I hear that God wants me to have more. But I don't even know God. In fact, I've, I don't know much about Jesus, but as I hear you talking about him, I can't help but feel his love to know that he cares for me. And if that's you, if you've never crossed that line of salvation, but you want to today, you want to say, Lord, I want to, I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I want him to sit on the throne of my heart. If that's you, every head bowed and every eye closed. Nobody's looking around. I don't want to embarrass you. I just want to know that you're here. If you put your hand up, just let me know you want to make Jesus Lord of your life. Just so that I know you're here. You can put your hands down now. Thank you. Maybe some of you are here and you've known Jesus and you've, you have gotten into the grind and you've allowed something else. You've allowed the God of success whatever form that may take, whether it's money, whether it's career, you have created an altar that you have sacrificed your family, God, church, community on that altar because every God requires a sacrifice. And you've been laying that down and you say, Aaron, I want to set this straight. I want Jesus to be at the center. I want him to be on the throne of my heart. If you're here today, I want to pray for you. I'll pray for all of us. Let's pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll take a moment and, and, uh, for prayer requests as well. Father, thank you for your word, for the truth that you're able to shine into our lives so that we can see that we're not living the best that you have for us. I pray, God, that that the light that is shining in our hearts and is shining in our life right now wouldn't be as overwhelming as having the lights flipped on when we first wake up in the morning, that it's painful, that it's not welcome. I pray for every heart. I pray for those that would like to accept Christ for the first time. I pray, God, that for those that raise their hand, Lord, that you would fill their lives with your love and overwhelm them in a powerful and amazing way. Lord, that they would come to know you, that they would come to 
church on Sundays, that they would engage in Christian community and grow with you every day. And that you would lead them and show them how to live for you. Lord, for those of us that are here, Lord, that we've lost our way, maybe we've, we're walking with you and we didn't even realize that we've allowed another God to sit upon our heart. We're going through the motions. We're doing everything we know to do. We're reading our Bible. We're praying. We're coming to church. We're in Christian community, but something has changed. Lord, we repent. We ask you to forgive us. Set it right in our heart and set it right in our lives so that we may worship you completely. Father, I pray that you go with these this week. Lord, bless them. Be with them, Lord, as we, we live out having Jesus at the center of our heart and guarding our heart from those gods that would try to shove him off his throne. We need you, God. We need you in a big way. We ask these things in Jesus' name.